like we've been doing more often with this Proverbs series, I'm going to be reading a number of, you see them up there, a good number of selections from Proverbs. We're going to be tracing a particular theme through the book like we have for other sermons. And then we're also going to be reading Deuteronomy 6. This is God's holy and infallible word, first of all, from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And these selections from Proverbs. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands, and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. If a man curses his father or mother, his lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth, do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. That's God's word. We look around at society today, and you might say, we're on the verge of cultural Armageddon. And that's a, that's a strong word to use, obviously. Uh, another way to put that is our society, and to put it mildly, is our society is not in a good place. Some people would think and say things are a disaster. We see people protesting in the streets. There seems to be divisions like never before between conservatives and liberals among our elected officials in Washington, just among the common person. Threats of violence in our society, actual violence. How do we pull back from the brink of disaster as a nation? 
We were united when the Cold War was won. We were together against terrorism. And now suddenly it's all complicated and it's all kind of a wreck. And from our vantage point sitting here, how can we even begin to make a difference and help to avoid cultural implosion? And we can feel frustrated, maybe angry, puzzled about the state of affairs, totally helpless about the state of affairs. What's the answer? Why is this happening? A lot of people have suggested that the issues and the problems in society go back to the family, the building block of society. There's a sociologist and historian named Carl Zimmerman, and he found and discovered in his studies that a civilization declines when the family declines. And I want to read just a summary of his studies about what is common in societies that are on a downward spiral. One, marriage loses its sacredness and it's frequently broken by divorce. The traditional meaning of marriage is lost in societies going downhill. There's increased public disrespect for parents and authority in general. Acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. Refusal of people with traditional marriages to accept and take up the family responsibility. Sixth, there's a growing desire for and acceptance of adultery. Seven, increasing interest in and spread of sexual perversions and sex-related crimes. It sound familiar? When do you think he wrote this book? Last year, 2010, 1947. 1947. You think the downward spiral has continued or even accelerated since 1947 to us today? Well, it has, I believe. And the breakdown of the family is our underlying problem. We talk about juvenile delinquency. Kids are raising themselves, joining gangs. The U.S. has 4% of the world's population, 22% of the total number of people in the world in prison. Talk about marriage losing its sacredness. The U.S. has among the highest divorce rates in the world. And as of 2012, more than half of all births among women under 30 happen outside of marriage here in the U.S. And how many people are living together or otherwise acting like they are married when they are actually not husband and wife? They've never said the vows. On top of all this, society is redefining marriage and wants to eradicate the difference between the genders. Proponents of these changes think they're helping. But my opinion is that redefining family and gender, it's like throwing gas on the cultural fires that are already there. That's my thought based on God's word. Though these are complex issues and each situation and person is unique and we love people always, it comes down to this. What the family is, the difference between men and women, cannot be defined by what we feel in our hearts. 
It cannot be defined by what culture determines is best. The Bible tells us that God created us, and his word gives us the meaning of family, marriage, gender, and all the rest. Our problems today are not, first of all, political. We keep trying to elect the right people, and we lament the situation in Washington, but the problems today are not, first of all, political. Society is in chaos because families are breaking apart, and the very idea of family is being redefined. There's some comfort in knowing that what we're facing is not new in the history of Of God's people in the world. In the Bible, we read that God built his church in places where the culture had also rejected the ways of the Creator and rejected what he said about family. In Old Testament times, polygamy was common, and some cultures near ancient Israel even practiced child sacrifice. Not a recipe for healthy family life, to say the least. In New Testament times, same-gender relationships were common. They were accepted. And it was even common and accepted between adults and children. In New Testament times, wives and children were barely considered people. They were at the bottom rung of society along with slaves. We talk about our rights in America all the time. Well, women and children basically had none in Bible days. Wives could be divorced at a husband's whim. Children who weren't born perfectly whole could be left to die. And so we shouldn't despair too quickly. God's people have been in worse societal situations than ours and survived. I also don't think we need to despair because if the family is the problem, it also means it's the solution. What do we do in light of society's issues today? Do we take political sides? Do we protest on the streets with signs? Maybe there are times for Christians to do those things, but how about this? If the family is the problem, that means that the family can be part of the solution. You can have a resistance movement right in your home. We protest what's going on by building God-honoring families and homes. The signs that we wave are God's command on the doorposts of our homes, like Deuteronomy 6 said. Living for Jesus when we wake up, when we go to sleep, when we're on the road, That's the message. The love of God, the delight it is to follow his ways, and praising in all we do a Savior, Jesus, who saves his people from their sins. So you might think you can do nothing to stop the cultural decline, but you can in your family, and that can impact your children, your children's children, and so on and down and, and even out from there to all, everybody around you. Baptizing these babies like we did today is a part of our protest movement to counter what's going on in culture. God's love is the foundation of our protest. And then parents build homes after God's beautiful design as they fulfill their vows 
with God's help, with the church's help. This is our protest against what's going on in the world. Our verses uh, that we read show the details of how we protest as we see God's call for parents, we see God's call for children, and Proverbs shows us three dimensions for parents, instruction, discipline, and example. We protest through instruction. We're so proud of our kids as they learn history and geography and Spanish and science and all the rest. We're so excited as they master an instrument, practice a sport, become artistic. But the number one learning as parents that we're responsible for, the number one type of learning that we want to get excited about is their spiritual instruction. And a lot of Proverbs talk about instructing the children, teaching God's law. In Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train a child in the way. The Bible talks about the way often. It actually says there are two, when it comes down to it, two ways and only two ways to go in life. There's a broad way, a broad path that everyone's on. It's easy. It's the world's way. And then there's the narrow path. The narrow way, the less popular one, the hard way, the way of suffering. But the way there is lit by God's word, and it's going to lead to life and life eternal. Deuteronomy 6 gives us some of the details of what that instruction should look like to our kids' parents. We teach total devotion to God. That's verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. Loving him with our whole heart, soul, and strength. And we do that because, verse 4 of that text, he's the one true God because of who he is. And so we teach them who God is in all his splendor. And we teach them what God has done. Later in chapter 6, we read about how God redeemed his people. So, in short, we teach them the biblical story of who God is and his love and his truth and how he came to save us. We don't leave it there. That's just sort of stuff out there in the sky. We apply it. We take it a step further, parents. We interweave our own story of God's grace and salvation for us. And so as parents, whatever your story is, how you handle losing a job, how you handle an illness or struggling through an illness, how you handle a loss, doing great and enjoying life to the fullest at times by God's grace. In ways appropriate to your kid's age, you teach your children how we give thanks in the good times, how we remain patient through adversity, so we show them how the story of you show them how the story of your family in good and hard times fits into that bigger story of God and his grace. Though there are Christian schools and I've got to say there's an excellent one across the street. Though we have the church, the home is the center 
of our spiritual life. Parents, this instruction is your responsibility, according to the Bible. Anything else, a great youth director, and we've got one, Bible class at school, if you go to Christian school, Sunday school, all of those things are a support for what needs to be taught in the home. Our spiritual forefathers took this so seriously that they talked about the office of parent. You know, we talk about the office of deacons and elders and pastors, office of leaders in the church. That's, that's a high calling if you're in an office. So they talked about parents. Parents, you've got an office. That's how important this instruction is. They also sometimes called Christian homes little churches. And that's to give a vision for the home. To get at the idea that holy and special things happen there. Especially instructing in God's word. Maybe you heard the language before of the family altar. Well, that comes from the ancient Jews who called the dinner table the altar of the home. A place where God's ways could be discussed, taught, read about in his word. And speaking of that, This isn't going to happen unless we set aside time to do the instruction that God's Word calls us to. Family schedules are crazy. Work schedules are crazy. So we need to find a time. We've had small groups that have dealt with us. And if you want ideas or help in this, uh, talk to me, talk to Sarah. Uh, We've got a number of ideas, and we have age-appropriate resources in our home and in my study. Parents make the vow to do this at baptism because it's vital. It's the parent's primary responsibility in the home. What a shame if we spend so much time and energy to prepare our kids for college, to prepare them and, and take them to and from sports, and neglect the thing that truly matters, knowing God. This idea is foreign to the world. It's countercultural. Let your protest be clear. Have devotions. Get equipped with the word, parents, by making weekly worship a priority, by joining a Bible study, a small group, discuss God's word with others. There's a lot more we could say about the instruction, but we should move forward. The training also includes discipline, according to Proverbs. My dad was in town a couple days, and uh, we drove together to pick up Hannah from volleyball practice. He asked her, did everyone work really hard today in practice? And she said, oh yeah, we didn't want to do the running. My dad said, oh, the girls don't work hard all the time because in their hearts they know it's the right thing to do. She just laughed. So there's this threat of punishment. Primarily in life, we want to have positive reinforcement. But the Bible says negative consequences can help our children stay on track too. And the the Proverbs even talks about the rod, which is physical discipline. And it's saying physical discipline should be one of the possible avenues for disciplining children. And some people, especially today, get pretty horrified by this idea. Let me be clear. 
Uh, the Bible is not advocating child abuse. I like what I've heard, that if physical discipline is used, it should be judicious, controlled, loving, accompanied by words of instruction, and always include forgiveness. And I think a hug afterwards is always a good idea too. It's also wise for there to be time between the deed and the discipline to be sure nothing is done in anger. Any discipline, and the rod is mentioned often in Proverbs as an example of discipline in general, but also to say physical discipline should be one of the options. Uh, any discipline is a means to discipleship. That's something that we got to remember when we discipline. It's not an end in itself. There's one more call to parents, and that's to be an example. Children can see through hypocrisy. If a parent acts one way in church, totally different in the home, the kids are going to notice. They say one thing, do another, they'll call you out on it. You know it, uh, especially if they're teenagers. This summer, Sarah was sitting coloring with her four-year-old niece, Annika. And they're, they're coloring away because you know adults color too now. Um, so there was a bit of that going on this summer with Sarah and her sisters and her mom with the kids. Um, Annika said out of the blue, my mom sometimes says bad words. Sarah was really curious what her younger sister may have said, but she kept it cool and casually kept coloring and said, really? What bad words does she say? She says, shoot, said Annika, as if it were the worst thing in the world. But they're watching us, parents. Proverbs 20, verse 7 reads, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. In other words, the integrity of parents will extend to the lives of their children. Christian parents practice what they preach. Children have a responsibility and calling too. Young people, boys and girls, you're not left out of the protest movement. Along with all God's people, two thoughts. First, give respect to your parents. And this is another way of putting the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Proverbs affirms this in various ways in our readings. You saw with negative and with positive examples. And we believe the fifth commandment extends to all those in authority over us. That includes our president. That includes our teachers and coaches. Um, elders and deacons in the church. This can be a powerful, powerful protest statement because lack of respect for authority, whether it's people not respecting their parents or other leaders, is par for the course today. It's widespread. But the Bible says honoring our parents is the way to blessing. And not just with your lips, not just paying them lip service, but from the heart respecting and honoring. Children are also called specifically to choose wisdom. Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you accept my words and turn your ear to wisdom, which implies the other side of it, you can choose foolishness too. Proverbs 23 calls children to get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. This path is the life that pleases God and brings joy to parents. We obsess about what's new and fresh. 
But the good paths are ancient paths. Jeremiah 6.16 says, The Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. So, children, boys and girls, young people, are you walking the ancient paths that Scripture talks about? Finally, also, for everyone, Christ is our foundation. Because we mess up. We can all think of many examples of how far we've gone from the biblical ideal of family life. We have arguments in our homes, anger. You know how messy things can get if we're honest with ourselves. The fact is, we cannot choose the wise path on our own. And especially the Old Testament It tells the story of how God's children continually rejected God and his ways, including by not living properly as parents or as children. They got sucked into society's ways too often. And so in the fullness of time, we read that God sent our elder brother Jesus to save us from all our sins, including the sins of distorting the divine design for the family. He went to the cross to adopt us into God the Father's family. And when we turn to Jesus, we're given grace. There's forgiveness for the times we've failed to discipline our children, whether we've been too lax and not taken up that responsibility, or for the times when we've been too strict. There's forgiveness for children who've dishonored their fathers and mothers, who have foolishly chosen the wrong path in life. Jesus was the perfect son in relation both to Mary and Joseph, his, his earthly parents, and to his heavenly father. The perfect son. And when we believe in him, his perfect life becomes ours. He takes the old life and gives us new life. Life eternally and life for today. He sets us on the right path where by the Spirit's power, Families can receive strength and encouragement and guidance. Boys and girls, if you love Jesus, he can help you honor your parents and choose wisdom. You don't have to be the sassy teenager or the smart mouth the world winks about and says, oh, that's just a phase all kids go through. When you belong to Jesus, you can do better, and it's because you are better than that. You're saved. You're on the ancient path. You have to stay close to him to continue on it. He's done the work. He's got the power. For all of us, when we mess up, we call out to Jesus again, and then we'll give in less and less to our natural impulses, and our impulses will become more and more like Jesus. And so, friends, yes, we're in difficult times. Society is on the brink. And it's because especially the family is in trouble. And here's how Christians especially change society. One family at a time. That's how we protest with countercultural living and standing on God's word, leaning on the solid rock. And Faith Church is here to support your family in this and to equip you with God's word for all of life. We can start protesting 
the attacks on the family right now. There's no one that can stop you. And if you don't have children in your home, you can make an impact among the kids who are in your life, maybe nephews and nieces. And certainly, you have plenty of opportunity to be part of the protest right here in our church family where we have so many little kids. You could be part of children and youth ministries. And more than any of that, you can commit to prayer for the word proclaimed in this place. You can be in prayer for families in our church. You can support Faith Church by giving of yourself as we seek to equip families. So I encourage you, join the protest. And when you do, you'll be changing society for the better. One home at a time.